The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture is found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his ear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Verity, for reading God's word for us. Good morning, everyone. I'm excited to preach God's word and to share a little bit more with you about how he is the king of kings and the God of glory. And if you have been with us the past couple of weeks or this entire semester, we have been going through the book of Exodus, seeing the gospel in Exodus. And, and I must submit, I'm a little bit sad to be, in, to, to be done with Exodus because Exodus was so rich and amazing. But we're going to begin a new series as we approach Advent. And for you who may not know, Advent just simply means coming. It's the moment of the year where we celebrate the fact that, our, that Christ, our Savior, has come. But we also remember the promise that our Christ, our Savior, will come again. And so this morning, our series is titled, Emmanuel, God with us, then, now, and forever. And as you just heard um, Genesis 3 read, some of you may be thinking that this is an unusual 
Christmas um, scripture, we typically hear about the nativity scene, Jesus and the three wise men. So I'm excited to share with you about how the entire Bible from the very beginning points to the one who was promised to come and make all things new. So before we dive into God's word, will you just bow in a quick word of prayer with me as I ask God to bless our time. Dear Heavenly Father, the more I live, the more I realize how deeply uh, we all need you. So God, even in this moment as we may come into this room distracted, burdened, um, with different things, good and bad, God, I just pray that your presence is made known. Lord, Lord, we are always in your presence, but Lord, I pray, Lord, that this morning, through this service, through your word being preached, that we feel your presence. Lord, you are good, and we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to title this word, Trusting God's Goodness. Trusting God's Goodness. Luke 15 tells the account that many refer to as the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a story of a son who lived in his father's home. There was no lack in his father's home. All of his needs were met in his father's home. There was love and affection in his father's home. Home, But yet, though this son had everything, this son thought that there could be a better life found outside of his father's home. The son wasn't happy living under his father's rules. The son wanted to be free to live however he saw fit. So one day the son had the courage or the nerve, you may say, to ask the father for his share of the inheritance. Dad, I saw your will. I know when you die, I got a couple million coming my way. You know what? Instead of waiting for you to die, can you just go ahead and break me off what I'm going to get when you die? Dad, I don't care about having a relationship with you. I just want the riches from you. The story goes on. The father obliges by his son's request and the son takes his riches and goes off and lives in a far away country and here the story tells us he lives recklessly and foolishly until he squanders all of his money and now he has nothing he has no family no friends no government assistance this son who was once living a hopeful dream is suffering in despair so he thought There's one place I still can go. I can go back home to my father's home, not as a son, but as a slave. And even though he dishonored his father in the greatest of ways, he knew something about his father that he placed his hope in. He knew the goodness of his father. And he hoped that his father would let him in back into his home, even as a slave. And the truth is, we all have acted like this towards God the Father. 
we all in some way have dishonored God by saying, I don't want you. I just want what I can get from you. I don't want to abide by the rules of, of your home, God. I want to live as I please. We all have found ourselves living and suffering in this fallen, broken world, searching and longing for someone to provide a refuge for us. This fallen and broken world that we live in causes fear and dread. The pain of this world causes sickness and grief. And the emptiness of this world causes us to run from one thing to the next, always searching for our purpose to be fulfilled. So what are we to do as we live in a world filled with so much pain and heartache? What do we do when we are just filled with shame and guilt because of our past? What do we do when you have given your life to a cause to make a change in this world and it seems as if things are only getting worse? We do what the son did. We too trust in the goodness of our father. And this is what this text reminds us of in this season of Advent. Genesis 3 reminds us in several ways that we are to trust and hope in God's goodness and grace. And if I had to give you just a, a main idea, it, it would be simply to trust God. The main idea that I want us to see from Genesis 3 this morning in the midst of all, of all the brokenness and everything that happens that's bad, we are to still trust God. Why do we trust God? We trust God because the light of God's goodness will overcome the darkness of the world. Genesis 3 is infamous, infamously known and recognized as the fall. The fall are two words that can explain pretty much in everything that is wrong with this world world. The fall is the moment that man sinned against God and in one action caused a cataclysmic chain of events that corrupted everything that God made good. The fall is the reason why we see untimely deaths. Sickness in our bodies and even natural disasters are all due to the fall. This is the world we live in. But I would like for us just for a moment for you to try to use your holy imagination with me to, to picture what was the world like in God's perfect design before the fall. We don't got much that the Bible tell us about what the world was like. Only three chapters, but in these three chapters, we could try to, um, what's the word, use context clues to, to um, use our imagination to think what was the world like in God's perfect design. Well. Adam, God made everything, and God said everything is very good. And then God made Adam and, and put Adam in the garden and told Adam to be fruitful and multiply. But then he said, Adam, man, you by yourself. I'm going to give you a partner. He put Adam in the deep sleep, and then Adam woke up and said, whoa, man, flesh of my flesh, this, this beautiful creature. Oh, this beautiful, not creature, this beautiful woman. Excuse me, I don't want to offend nobody. Women, women, this beautiful woman. And God said, go be happy, be fruitful and multiply. Y'all take that however y'all want to take it. <laughs> Everything was good. 
Genesis 3 tells us that, that, that God, his, God's presence was heard walking in the midst of the garden. So we can assume that God, that mankind, we was made to experience and see God in a tangible and real and physical way. God brought all of the animals to, to Adam to name. There was no lions prowling around trying to hunt and kill Adam. Adam could go camping and didn't have to be af afraid of bear attacks because mankind and animals' relationship was perfect. We can even assume, looking at chapter 3, that, that Eve, the woman, was talking with the serpent, that the serpent spoke to the woman, and Eve's reaction wasn't, oh my goodness, a serpent is talking to me. It was normal. So we could maybe even assume that in God's perfect creation, everything is so perfect that mankind can be Dr. Doolittle <laughs> and talk to animals. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just assuming but the most important thing that I want us to remember and, and highlight in God's perfect world is that these two people were naked and unashamed. Yes, this is a physical nakedness, but it's also an emotional and spiritual nakedness. There was nothing to be ashamed about. There was no reason to hide or to lie. There was no insecurities to cover up. In God's perfect world, there was nothing that caused anxiety or hostility between one another because there was perfection, even in the midst of relationships. So what happened in this perfect world that ruined this perfect world? Y'all know the story. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They ate this forbidden fruit. And this isn't just a simple act of being allergic to an apple and eating an apple and now harm is coming. No, this is a decision that they made to rebel and sin against a perfect God that God has already said that if you do this, you will surely die. You are free to eat from any tree in this garden, but if you eat from this one tree, just this one tree, you will surely die. So what made Adam and Eve eat from this one tree when they had the entire world to choose from? Satan deceived them and made them question and second guess if God was really good. Look at verse 2. He, the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan, the serpent, had a short conversation with Eve, but this short conversation caused Eve to question and, and doubt God's character. Jesus told us in John 8 that the serpent, Satan, is the father of lies, and here Satan wants Eve to believe three lies about God. He wants Eve and us to believe that God is holding back from you. He don't know what's best for you. He, he, he don't want you to live life to your fullest 
potential. He's holding back. He wants us to believe that sin, re- that sin carries no consequences. That you can live however you want to do as long as you won't hurt nobody. Sin, there are no consequences to your actions. And the last thing he wants us to believe is that you can actually be God. You don't need God. You can be your own God. He says, I know what God said. You will surely die. You won't surely die. Your eyes will actually be open. God doesn't want you to know how you can really live your best life. God doesn't want you to be God. He's just trying to keep you down here. Because he knows when you eat of it, you will be like God knowing good and evil. So Eve, who was so afraid to touch the tree, even though God did say don't touch it, Eve said we can't touch it. And now she walks up close to it and, and she looks at the fruit and she says it's, it was good to the eyes and she picked it and she said it's good for food and it's going to make me wise. And she ate it and she gave some to her husband, and just like that, God's perfect world was destroyed. And before I move on, I need us to see the immediate effect of sin. The immediate effect of sin before God spoke a word, before God came into the picture, verse 7, their eyes were open and they realized they were naked and they ran and hid. Sin, this nakedness causes shame, helplessness. Nakedness means to be without, to be in need. To be naked means to not have any covering or protection. Do you know how dangerous it is to not have any covering? If we were soldiers and we were going on on the battlefield and we didn't have, if we was naked and exposed, we were considered to be dead. And here is Adam and Eve realizing their nakedness because of their sin. So they go and try to hide and make for themselves these fig leaves to cover up their insecurities and their shame. And then verse 8 says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day and the man hid themselves from the presence of God. I just picture Adam and Eve trying to, for the first time, make some fig leaves to make the first outfit in human history. And, and it was almost like they was doing something they knew they weren't su- supposed to do. And they heard the garage go up, so they knew mama was home, and their eyes just got big. And they was like, oh my goodness, God is walking in the midst of the garden. So they went and, and hid from the presence of the Lord. Now, I know how familiar this story is to us. We have heard this story probably a thousand times in our life, but I want us to think about what we just heard. That these two people who were so used, who had a daily routine to walk in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 16 says, in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy, it's the fullness of life. So these two people who had experienced everything that we all long for because of one action, because of their sin, to not trust in God, they are now hiding from the very thing they was longing for. 
isn't this what sin causes us to do? Sin causes us to hide. Hide not only from God, but, but, but from each other. Sin, when you sin as a spouse, there's something in you that wants to hide from your spouse. So what you long for is intimacy and connection with your spouse. But now you have so much shame on your own that you are actually pushing your spouse away because of your sin. And the same thing with God. When we sin against God, we feel this shame. We bow our heads to pray, and we don't even want to pray because we are so unworthy. And now I know all these times thus far, Genesis 3 has been bad so far. There hasn't been anything to smile about. So let me give you something to shout about. At the lowest moment in human history, God proved to be Emmanuel, God with us. When we turned our back against God, God then turned his back on us. In fact, Genesis 3 shows us two ways that God is actually good and someone that we can trust in. The first reason to trust in God's goodness is because God calls. I worked all week to come up with that right there. God calls. I don't think you heard me. I said God calls. Somebody said call Tyrone, but I want to tell you that God calls you. Amen. Adam and Eve realized that they were naked. So they took these leaves to, to, to cover themselves up and they heard God walking in the midst of the garden. So they hid. But then look at verse 9. I love verse 9. The Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? They sinned against God. They are hiding from God, but God still chose to come near and call out to them. I love verse 9 because this verse can be interpreted in many different ways. In fact, my entire life, I always viewed this, this verse in a different way. I always thought that when God came down and said, Adam, where are you? I thought God was condemning Adam and acknowledging the separation between mankind and God. I always view verse 9 as, 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 as the condemning verse that God is saying, you are no longer my people. I am no longer your God because where are you? But as I began this week to ponder over this and think slowly about this the Lord God called the man and said where are you and for a second I want you to take what you know about salvation and how God always accomplishes salvation isn't God always the one who initiates and calls out to you first isn't God the one who said, I'm going to take you in darkness and bring you out of darkness, call you out of darkness to walk in this marvelous light? Even as I think about the prodigal son, the son who left his father's home, even when he was coming back home, it was the father who in the distance saw his son far, far, far away. 
And before his son could say a word, ran to his son, grabbed his son, hugged his son, kissed his son, and called out in a loud voice, my son who was dead is now alive. God is the one who calls us out of our sin, of our darkness, of our shame. This is the good news this morning. That yes, we live in the fallen, broken world. Yes, we are still waiting for the second coming, for God to make all things new. But the good news this morning is that God is a God who calls. And the misconception of God is that when we mess up, sin, disobey, whatever, when we feel what we feel, when we feel unworthy, the misconception is that we have to put ourselves in a position for God to see us. But God is the one who, when they was hiding from him, came down, still walked in the presence of the garden and said, Adam, where are you? That question isn't a question of separation, of God saying, I no, I no longer want you. God saying, where are you, is an invitation to come back home to him. This is a statement of the grace and the love of God. That even when we live reckless lives like Adam and Eve, the Lord God is still the one who is patient and with his everlasting love calling us home. God calls. And the second reason to trust God, stay with me, is that God crushes. God crushes. Just write that down. It's going to come to you in about five minutes. God crushes. Adam, where are you? Adam said, I hid from you because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to? Adam said, yes, sir, I did. But it was because that woman you gave me. Adam looked, God looked at the woman and said, what did you do? Yeah, I did it, God, but it's because of the serpent that you made. The serpent deceived me. God asked Adam and Eve a question, but he, then he turned to the serpent who is Satan and cursed Satan. The Lord then asked the, the serpent a question, but he made a promise to Satan that terrified him and should delight us. Verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall strike your head and you shall strike his heel. That word strike in the Hebrew, it is it's translated either strike or crushed. So serpent, you will strike this seed's heel, but he will crush your head. I will put enmity, hostility between you and the woman. There's going to be this war between you and her offspring. And another word for offspring is seed. And Pastor Terry Anderson reminded me that in the human anatomy, that the man is the one who carries the seed and the reproduction thing and the reproduction activity. It's the man who carries the seed. But God says the woman's seed will strike and crush the head. 
And I don't believe Eve knew exactly what God was promising. No one knew until thousands of, uh, thousands of years would go by until God would speak again through the prophet Isaiah saying there would be a sign. There will be a virgin who shall carry and, and conceive a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew, the, Matthew when, 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 when the angel first came to Mary, he, the, the angel referred to Isaiah giving Mary the news, Behold, the virgin shall bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We first see the promise of the Savior to be born of a virgin in Isaiah. But I want to suggest that we actually see the first news of the Savior on the second page of the Bible. Genesis 3.15 in, in theological circles is referred to as the Proto-Evangelium, which is a fancy way to say the first gospel message. The first, the first message of good news that there will someday be a seed who will come and defeat the enemy, take away sin, and put death to death and make all things new. See, God says you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And this is the picture of Jesus on the cross. Yes, the snake bit the heel of Jesus, and Jesus suffered and died on the cross, but this bite wasn't lethal because death in the grave could not hold Jesus down, and Jesus got up and with the power of God crushed the head of the serpent. The serpent. Who is this serpent? The serpent, this crafty deceiver lurk, lurking to draw all away from God. The serpent who is the master of lies. The, the serpent who Jesus says who is the enemy who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The serpent who is the prince of darkness corrupting and making all things evil. The serpent who appears to have won the battle. And even if you look up in the world today, you might say it's still winning. On the second page of the Bible, God makes a promise that saying this serpent is and will be defeated. There is coming someday a boy. A boy who will be born and this boy will cast out darkness and make all things new. This boy will give you abundant life. There is someone who will come. Yes, Adam, you will surely die. Death has entered this world. Pain and suffering has entered this world. Disappointment, shame, violence, evil, poverty, racism, oppression, abuse, neglect, natural disasters, all that you can call evil has entered this world. But please believe there is coming or has already come the one who will come and make all things new. Who will put death to death who will give everlasting life. And you may know his name. His name is Jesus. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Reverend H.B. Charles, um, his childhood pastor, told the story of a woman who recently began coming to his church. The pastor said this Women, they always had a weekly prayer time similar to how we do where different members can just stand and pray. And this new woman would stand and pray. And the first time she came to church, she stood up and she prayed, Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And she sat down. She came back the next week and during the prayer time, she stood up and prayed the exact same prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. 
The third Sunday, she came back. Some members was picking over her thinking, is she going to pray the exact same prayer again, or is she going to switch it up? And, and to their belief, she stood up again and said, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And some women in the church got together, and they was lovingly saying, man, we got to help this woman. She is praying the same prayer because she don't know much about the Bible. We got to invite her to Bible, um, Bible study Sunday school so she can have something else to pray beside, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. So one day the pastor approached this lady and just said, excuse me, miss, um, can I just ask why it is that you pray the same prayer every Sunday? Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And the woman said, Pastor, you don't know much about me, but me and my daughter, we live by ourselves. And you might not know this, but we live in a not-so-good part of town, so, so any night there can be gunshots heard right outside of my window. And when I hear these gunshots, I grab my daughter and I just hit the floor and, 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 and in distress and in fear. The only words I got to say is, oh, Lord, help me. But she said, when I wake up in the morning, alive to see a new day, my prayer turns from, oh, Lord, to thank you, Jesus. She said, at 7 a.m. every weekday, when I walk my daughter to the bus stop, I'm, I'm fear. I have so much fear of my daughter getting on this bus and going to school with all of the craziness going on in this world. And the only words I have to say is, oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. But at 3 p.m., when I see my daughter holding her backpack, stepping off the bus, my prayer changes from, oh, Lord, to thank you, Jesus. And it's true that we live in the oh Lord world. There are so many things that happen weekly that make us cry out, oh Lord, will you help us? Every time we get in Memphis traffic, I don't know about you, but I got to say, oh Lord, help me. But when I get home safe and sound, my prayer turns into thank you, Jesus. There are so many things that I know personally y'all have lived through, but because you have lived through them, you ought to right now say thank you, Jesus. If God allows you to make it through another day, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus. If he kept you when you couldn't keep yourself, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus. When he made right the mess that you made wrong, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Your loved one just died. That's an old Lord moment. But he gave you the strength and the comfort to get through it. Thank you, Jesus. This... It's the news of Advent that Jesus has come, but we're still waiting for him to come. We have the promise and the assurance and the security of the victory, but we still live in the old Lord world. So I want to encourage you all that even if you are in the midst of an old Lord right now, I dare you to still lift up your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Because he is a God who calls, he is a God who sees, and he is a God who promises to always be with and for his people. So always trust in the goodness of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. 
Lord, we thank you, Lord, that at our worst moments, you still loved us. I love Romans 5, 8, that it says, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, even as we wait, we are not a people without hope, but we are a people who look forward to that day where our faith becomes our reality and we see you face to face, Jesus. Lord, help us, strengthen us where we are weak, and keep our eyes stayed on you. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Be blessed, downtown church. Amen.